0: Abba, we bless you, and we thank you for bringing us back one last time to study your words of life. We thank you for the festivals and the uh, the truths that are contained therein, the promises that uh, that we can uh, embrace through the uh, perfect and finished work that your Son has provided for us. We know, Father, that there is nothing that we can do to um, add to the finished work that He has done, and so it is by perfect faith that we uh... lay hold of, of of his ministry his intercession his his uh... his death his his resurrection um, what a wonderful fact that you've drawn us to yourself uh... through your perfect sacrifice and now as we are poised counting the omer looking forward to the um, the the uh... commemorative event of pouring out your spirit and the giving of your torah father prepare our hearts to receive these things um, help us to draw together uh, as a community so that we can shine as lights, um, help us as we serve one another. For for the the whole Torah is summed up in this in, in love, and if we fail to grasp that central tenet, well then we've missed the boat. Um, help us to continue to uh, forgive one another for the uh, for the wrongs that we've committed towards one another. Um, thank you for all that you're doing for this class, each and every student, the work that they've put into uh, the studying. Um, the opportunity to sharpen one another as iron sharpens iron. Um, again, we just uh, give you all things in Yeshua's name me. All right, we have some more people streaming in. Greg. Is Don going to be here tonight? Oh, there's. I'm sorry, I didn't even. And that should be about it. If Patrice makes the copies, one, two, three, four. Five, six, seven, eight, nine. Yeah, we should be fine. The David Stern version. We'll see what happens. There you are. And this is the last for now. Keep in mind that this last, this conclusion that we're about to talk about, was actually written as if we studied the entire book of Galatians, which we didn't hit. I apologize. There's just not enough time to hit it the way it should be hit. And so we didn't get it all. There's more on the web than we studied. And there will be conti- there will continue to be more on the web as I update it. But for now, I, sh- I guess you w- we should appreciate as far as we got. Am I what? R- thought about writing a book? Several times. I've got enough material, I just haven't sat down and formatted and published it and all that other stuff. So we'll see. <laughs> Thanks for the reminder. Um, we're on page 62, entitled The Promise... And I, I chose the word, the promise, because it's a word that, according to many um, Bible students, they and I've not verified this for myself, that's why I say according to them, um, there's, no, there's no formal equ- Hebrew equivalent to this word promise. For instance, when God simply says, the word of the Lord, blah, 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 or the Lord said, blah, 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 he doesn't really have to say, I promise. <laughs> Like it doesn't ever really have to say to Abraham, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. I promise. There's no doubt. If God says he's going to do it, it's going to happen. Simple as that. But Paul picks up on this word promise, and he utilizes it in his letters. And he, of course, it, it's, it's, the promise is another clever way of saying the gospel, really. Um, but it, it has its force in the fact that it was already given in kernel form way back in the Tanakh. Thus, we say the promise. Like, if I were to tell you, if you guys will survive in two weeks, I'll come back and I'll give you each a million dollars. I promise. Okay, so you would then be looking forward to the promise. You know, hey, I'm going to give you a million bucks. You're going to show up, aren't you? Right. So, the idea is that the gospel is not just the good news that Yeshua saves, but it's the good news that the promise that he gave us long ago has come to pass. It has its roots in antiquity, is what I'm trying to say. All right, so let's let's... Remember, I think it was David way back a long time ago, said, gosh, you talked about circumcision, and then you just dropped it. You never talked about it again. Well, now we're going to actually talk about circumcision. We've come full circle. Because this commentary, this what we're reading now, assumes that we actually studied the entire book of Galatians. And if that were the case, then we got all the way to Galatians chapter 5, which we really didn't. We got to Galatians chapter 3. But in Galatians chapter 5, it says, "...what the Messiah has freed us for is freedom. Therefore stand firm, and don't let yourselves be tied again up again to a yoke of slavery." Mark my words. I shall will tell you, I'm reading from David Stern's version, undoctored up as of yet. At least my own version is here. I shall will tell you that if you undergo Brit Milah, the the Messiah will be of no advantage to you at all. Again, I warn you, any man who undergoes Brit Milah is obligated to observe the entire Torah. You who are trying to be declared righteous by God through... I think it says legalism. I've whited it out. I don't even know. Does anyone have David Stern's version? That's how bad. I've whited his out and corrected certain places. Turn to page 1456, Galatians chapter 5 verses 1 through 4. In fact, you guys should have your Bibles open to that spot because I'm, I'm curious as to what other versions say. This becomes a central passage in the debate between is the law in effect or has the law been done away with. This is a central passage, Galatians chapter 5 verses 1 through 4. Actually, I'm going to read this time down through verse 6. This will make a little more sense once, once if Patrice comes back and has the, the my doctor up version. Right, exactly. In other words, this is a verse that seems to uproot circumcision. So, we're at chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. What the Messiah has freed us for is freedom. To, to capture the full effect of what I'm teaching, let me read it from the KJV so that we can feel it as if we were in a church setting. Does that make sense? Because most churches aren't carrying David Stern's version but many churches, especially if you're a good baptist, you've got the good old KJV. Can't be a baptist unless you have a KJV. What? Are Pentecostal who has which version? Really? Okay, here we go. Stand fast. I'm not trying to pick on any group. I'm am we're we're well, maybe yeah, we are poking a little bit of fun, but I'm going to leave it on the on the tape. Um make sure it's recording. It is. Okay. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you, that if ye be circumcised... I've I've doctored up this King James Version, too, so I'm I'm sorry. Um, That if ye be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to the whole law... Christ is become of no effect unto you, whosoever of you are justified by the law, ye are fallen from grace. For we, through the Spirit, wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. The word hope there is also synonymous with promise that we just said. You know, like if I tell you, show up in two weeks, I'm going to give you guys a million dollars. You really hope that I'm telling the truth. You hope in my promise. They're synonymous. Verse 6, for in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. Uh, And then I'll stop there. Okay. Um, By now we already know a few things about this text. Stand back. Yay, you did it. Okay. Well, I'll count my blessings. We We got the copies. We'll put it that way. Thank you so much. I'll make sure I upgrade your final grade from a C to a B, okay? Is uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> that why? Okay. All right. We're going to read David Stern's version in a moment. From this verse, by the way, before we even go into our own commentary, we've already learned a few things in this particular class. No. Oh. We've already learned... That um, and I don't think this red one works either. We've already learned that the word circumcision, there we go. The word circumcision is not not to be taken in its normative understanding or meaning. It's a test phrase. What do we know about Paul? Is he Torah observant or or is he Torah compliant? Does he even respect the law at all? Good. Is that a shocking statement to many? Should it be? It is a shocking statement to be. It shouldn't be, but it is. I mean, all you have to do is read Acts. At The very end, Paul confesses, "I've never done anything against the law." Either he's a liar, or so stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you undergo, that if you be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. How can one single work uproot the work of Christ? How can one single rite of passage undo everything that Yeshua has? I'm sp- I'm asking a rhetorical question, obviously. Is that what Paul's really thinking? I um, shall profit you nothing. And is it merely becoming circumcised that uproots it? If that's the case, poor Timothy in Acts chapter 16, when Paul circumcised them. No! Timothy says, no! No, if you circumcise me, Christ profits me nothing. Because you're going to write that in Galatians a few years later. Don't do this to me! <laughs> I'm being funny, obviously. Acts chapter 16, yeah, Paul circumcises Timothy couple that verse, or that passage, with this verse, what's Paul thinking? What is he, what, Timothy was a believer then, and then by snip-snip, now he just ruined Timothy's life? Are we, is that how we're to understand Acts 5, verse 2? I Hopefully you guys are going, no, that's not how, what were you going to say? You know what, even still, that still doesn't line up with this verse, or it doesn't square with the verse, it still contradicts it. I mean, he says, if you become circumcised, Christ profits you nothing. That's like saying, to reach the unsaved, I'll become unsaved so I can save them. You can't give up your salvation to save someone. It doesn't work. Even though Moshe kind of alluded to that, and so did Paul. Paul's like, gosh, if I could just give up what I have so that my brothers could get it, I'd do it. But but that's not the way salvation works. It's not your card that you can trade. It's not a a bubblegum card that you can trade with the guy who doesn't have it. Yeah, it's not our gift. It's entirely God's work. So, in a sense, to, to say that is, that's like situation ethics. You know, there's the drunk over the street, and I'd really like to reach him, so I guess I'll put down a fifth of Jack Daniels so I can talk to him as well. Oh, and there's this guy over here. He's smoking weed. Okay, here we go. Is that what Paul's saying? Yeah. That verse, That if we, get to the, if we have time and we get to that verse, we'll talk to that, about that passage. Good question, though. Anything else real quick before we go? That's kind of what David Stern's trying to insinuate when he says if you undergo Brit Milah because Brit Milah and circumcision are slightly different things. These you work in a hospital, yes, or you work around hospitals? Okay. In surgery, okay. Uh baby boys get circumcised all the time. Yes. But not by a not by a rabbi, not uh, not overseen by any rabbinic authorities. Therefore, it's not a it's it's no more a Brit Milah than taking a bath is a mikvah. Okay. So the point is um, Judaism has, has recognized that, what, and again, church people would recognize it too. Baptism is not just taking a bath. It's, it's something more than that. I mean, there's some similarities. You go into water, you come out of water. Uh, and in circumcision and in Brit Milah, who doesn't know what Brit Milah is? I keep saying that. Okay, in Brit Milah there is the snip, snip feature, so there are the, similar features at both sides. But the Torah is specific, eighth day. So if it's not on the eighth day, there's something wrong there. And it's something that's passed down from the parents to the child. Therefore, if it's if it's just done by the doctor and there's no significance in the act, there's something wrong there too. Yes. There was a yeah. So watch this. Of all those men who got circumcised when that was just standard procedure. Is, are the doctors then just basically damning them all to hell because, behold, I Paul tell you that if you undergo circumcision, Christ shall profit you. that's so all these circumcised people are suddenly no, okay. Plus, this this sends all the Jews to hell right away too, if we, and all the Muslims too, by the way, because they practice. Yeah, yeah, I Paul tell you if you become circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing, even though he's speaking to adults because the language the the verb there is in the um, uh, it's in the uh, passive tense. It's happening to you. You're not doing it. If you be circumcised, not if you circumcise yourself, that would be active. Paul would, Paul probably wouldn't be worried about people circumcising himself. Usually it's the passive verb every, you know, everywhere. If ye be circumcised, someone does it to you. But the problem with that is you only have two, two um, scenarios. You either have adults that are going through conversion, or you have babies who are getting circumcised by their parents, right? And if that's the case and he's just talking about circumcision, then both of them uproot the work of Messiah. Therefore, Paul's damning all Jews to hell and anyone who converts, or any... I mean, it's the verse is really weird unless we just stop and really rework it. Based on our new knowledge of Galatians, what do we know circumcision is really saying there? Yeah, because now that you've got it in here, yeah, let's read it now in David Stern's version, my doctored up version of David Stern's version. You're still receiving it, but it still it's done to you. It's always passive. It's never. It's never like if I say, um, "Yeah, well, you know what I mean." Well, your version says, "If you receive circumcision, yeah, you're, it's all you're always receiving it." Abraham's the only one that that's recorded that we know that circumcised himself per se, and even then, who's to say that he circumcised himself? But God says, "Ye shall circumcise yourself in the foreskin of your you know." In the flesh, yeah. So, I mean, read in its natural meaning, we would think he probably didn't do it to himself. But you get the idea. The point is, from Paul's, for Paul's um, audience, there's there's definitely some sociological uh, phenomena that Paul's trying to get them to avoid doing. Look at my doctored up version. What the Messiah has freed us for is freedom. Therefore stand firm and don't let yourselves be tied up again to yoke of slavery. Mark my words. I shall will tell you that if you undergo proselyte conversion-based deliverance, that's what he's trying to, trying to insinuate, the Messiah will be of no advantage to you. What he's meaning is it's not just that you put your trust in circumcision, although that's part of it. It's really that you put your trust in a changed identity. That's the meat. That's really what Paul's saying. So you could reword it however you'd like, but I just put it in some simple terms. I, Paul, tell you that if you undergo a change in identity, a change in identity, a change in status, and put your trust in that, then Christ is of none effect. Obviously, because the object of your faith has changed, you've taken your focus off of Yeshua and placed it on someone else. So the letter, the the verb, the verse there has its strongest um, uh, application to those who have not yet made the decision. Adults. Paul's wasting his words on seven-day-old baby boys who are contemplating what they're going to do tomorrow. I think you guys follow me there. He's talking to adults. Alright. And as he's talking to adults, he's talking to those who have not yet made that decision. Again, I warn you, any man who undergoes proselyte conversion-based deliverance, and, and the reason I just wrote it the same way twice is just because it's the same Greek word, uh, paratemno. Um, paratemno. yeah. Uh Proselyte conversion-based deliverance is obligated to observe the entire Torah, written and especially oral Torah, as interpreted and educated by the prevailing rule. Now, that's a lot meatier than probably some of your versions, where it just says you're obligated to keep the entire law. Um, Let me do this first. Let me now, before I answer why, let's go now to my commentary, read that, because I've got to get it on on audio, for the people who are going to take these classes later on. Let's read the commentary, and then I'll come back to the question. Yes, can you get a copy of these? The audio is what I'm talking about, yes. For those of you who are missing it, because this is the final class on the audio set. Then it'll be a complete set. Number 12, the promise. A Christian attempt at disproving the validity of the important covenantal sign of circumcision has caused much strife and division among the body of believing Jews and Gentiles. In other words, it does become a point of contention when Jews try to convince... I'm sorry, when Gentiles believers, in using that context, try to convince Jewish people that, that circumcision is no longer needed, necessary, valid, and that it's been done away with in Messiah, and that Paul is the one that proves it. So Jewish people want to hold on to that and go, you know, that's funny, Paul says that, but God says this, and so I'm going to go with God, you know, I'm not sure where Paul's coming out with this weird theology. And guess what, Their their choice is correct to go with God there. Paul Paul already gave the precedent. You know, if if we or some angel from heaven heaven tells you something other than what we're really telling you, then don't trust them. All right. The matter is made clear when we understand that Hashem never meant for the sign to secure the promises for the believer. Now we're revisiting circumcision, David. This was to be the sign that he was connected via covenant to a larger family. Is it valid for the Jews today? Yes, it is. Because, the reason I say that is because of the the unnecessary baggage that Jewish people attach to circumcision. That's why I mean by the term, is it valid? In reality, it's valid for all believers in Messiah. But, I have to put in my paper, in this way we forever identify physically and spiritually with the unending covenant made with our father Abraham. Is it practical for non-Jewish believers? Notice I changed my language. I didn't say, is it valid? I said, is it practical? Unfortunately, at this juncture in history, it's not practical. I believe it is valid, but I believe it's not practical practical meaning and well I just explain why until the church gets right its view of the torah and the trappings of legalism it is somewhat discouraged by messianic jewish rabbis it really is i'm not saying that gentiles cannot undergo this ritual please don't misunderstand me i am delighted to encounter those few gentiles who truly understand its meaning enough to go under the knife <laughs> is it necessary for the salvation of an individual no it never was all right pretty simple straightforward any questions about that right there no sure I would say no. According to rabbinic rule, they would say yes. Because they wouldn't recognize day 8. But that seems to be, in my opinion, something that was out of their control. And it and it creates an unnecessary hurdle in their life later on to try and correct something that seems to be kind of a technicality. It's almost like and, and here's where I get my impetus. Even Hashem allowed people who missed the first Passover to attend a second Passover. So I would think that's the same kind of God that would allow for men who were circumcised on the wrong day to just go, well, at least you got it. Um, It was out of your control. I mean, it really is. It's out of your control. Okay. I don't think we should be practicing ways to get creative with the mitzvah, if you want to ask me that. It was interesting because they're not Christian. Are they, oh, they're non, but they're practicing Jews or? Okay, they're not Christian. Okay, they're believers. All right. Okay. Yeah. That and that's that's completely. That's great. If if yeah, that's fine. I thought maybe you were saying that they said well, eighth day. Well, you know, hey, we you know we're not legalists, so let's just play with that. Let's go fourth day. Let's go fifth day. I thought okay. Oh okay. That makes sense. Okay. What? What's that? Uh huh. That's the one I'm talking about. Uh-huh. The, uh huh. The ritual of the pin. Pre- I'm 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 going to be very. Uh, I don't want to say that all of this on tape. Um, drawing a pinprick of blood from that area, even though you're male, even though you're um, an adult, uh, to make sure that you—it's—I mean, you're not going to cut any more off. Um, that would really. Okay, so what they do is they just—the blood is just to say that, um, you know, a pinprick's worth. They even have female circumcision. Don't ask me. Okay, what makes, huh? Yeah, What makes Abraham such a great role model of faith is not only did he trust in the word of Hashem, a.k.a. the promise, but the Lord saw into his future and predicted that his offspring would also be taught how to trust in the Almighty. Let's look at Genesis 18. There's going to be something showing up here. I'm going to draw up here. Let's go like this. I think that works. I just want three circles and three arrows. Um, what we have is in Genesis 18, 17-19... A tandem-like promise being spelled out for us if we'll look for it. Watch this. Adonai said, Should I hide from Avraham what I am about to do, inasmuch as Avraham is sure to become a great and strong nation, and the nation, and all the nations of the earth will be blessed by him? For I have made myself known to him, so that he will keep orders to his children and to his household after him, to keep the way of Adonai and to do what is right and just, so that Adonai may bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. Even though the word promise there shows up in English, in the Hebrew, it's not, trust me, it's not, um, it just says what he has said to him. (laughs) The closest that we have in Hebrew to the word promise is davar, you know, the word of the Lord that Abraham trusted in, the word of the Lord, the word, his word. All right, what what I want to show is that um, uh, God says, I'm going to bless Abraham, let me see if make sure I get this right. Because I've made myself known to him. Yeah, I'm good. Should I hide from Avraham what I'm about to do inasmuch as Avraham is sure to become a great and strong nation and all the nations of earth will be blessed, blessed there. For I've made myself known to him so that he will give orders to his children and his household after him to keep the way of, of the Lord. So we'll put obey and to do what is right and just so that Adonai may bring about for Avraham what he's promised him. In other words, so that he will bless him. So look, I've I promised, this is God talking, I've promised to bless him, and because I've promised to bless him, I will make myself known to him. And by making myself known to him, he will then obey me, and in obeying me, I will bless him. See how it just goes circular? It's circular. Now what's neat about this is the, the um, role of the Torah in here, and the role of knowing God. This is clearly Messianic language. It's covenant language. I've made myself known to him. The, the, the Hebrew word yada means to know. And it's, it's understood when we say that Adam knew his wife. So you guys know what I'm talking about. So when God says, I've made myself known to him, it's covenant language. It's like, it's like we ask, do you know Jesus? That's a great question, but the real important question is, does Jesus know you? Yeah? You think so? I think there's a lot of people out there who claim to know Jesus. But Jesus doesn't know them. (laughs) They're going to get to heaven and be rudely surprised. So God says, I will bless Abraham and I will make myself known to him so that he will teach his children to obey me so that I can bless him. And on and on it goes. It's an unbroken circle that we should uh, realize that it is the proper way to understand how Torah obedience and knowing God or faith in God and faithfulness in God are tied up into God's blessing us. So, here's, a, here's an answer to an off-asked question. What's the big deal? I know Jesus. Why do I have to keep Torah? Well, God says He wants to bless you. And so He makes Himself known to you by introducing you to His Son. And by introducing you to His Son, you are then in, filled with the Spirit so that you can walk in God's ways. So that God can then bless you like he says he would. In other words, if we can understand this basic principle that when God says I will bless you and make myself known to you, God does not bless wickedness. So to become the objects of God's blessing, we not only need the spirit of God within us, but we need to line, align our lives with God's ways. Because if Abraham was disobedient, he would break the chain and God would not bless him. God does not bless disobedience. And watch this. Let's just turn the arrows back the other way. God will not bless disobedience. And disobedience is proof that you don't know God. And because you don't know God, He won't bless you. So if we work it the other way around. So many people groups are like, gosh, we're cursed, we're cursed. Well, that's because you don't know God. And because you're not following God's ways. That's why you're cursed. God doesn't want to curse Israel. He wants to bless us. And by blessing us, he makes himself known to us. Notice the progression also is first that God makes himself known to us. Then we follow in his ways. If we say, okay, I want God's blessing, therefore I better obey God without knowing God, that's what we might call the big L. You know, uh, Let's see, what do we say? Here we go, um... No, it's not like that. It's, you know, it's loser. It's legalism, right? The big L, yeah, legalism is to try and secure the blessings of God by simply obeying without really knowing God. That would be called maybe legalism. But again, notice what God says. Adonai said, should I hide from Avraham what I'm about to do inasmuch as Avraham is sure to become a great and strong nation? Isn't that weird? God says he's sure to become a great and strong nation. You want God saying that about you. You know, what if God were to walk into your life right now and say, and, and maybe he has some, for some of you. Patrice, you are sure to become a great and strong person. You're like, whoa, that's great. I mean, that's what we want, right? And in fact, that's what I'm going to say here in a moment. So God says to Abraham, you know what? I'm going to make you a great nation. Basically, that, that I'm going to bless you. And all the nations of the earth will be blessed by him. That's also great, too. There's fringe benefits for us. For I have, notice he says, for I have made myself known to him. In other words, God knows the qualifying element necessary to bring the blessing to pass. Because I've made myself known to him. In other words, that's why, if we were to ask why, why is Abraham going to become a great nation? Because I've made myself known to him. For I've made myself known to him so that... In other words, his purpose, not his his total purpose, but part of his purpose of making himself known to him is so that he will give orders to his children and to his household after him to keep the way of the Lord. Notice he says, I've made myself known to you so that. He doesn't say, I've made myself known to him, and as a side benefit, Abraham's going to get smart and keep my ways anyway. Or, gosh, if he gets lucky, or hope, gosh, I hope he'll keep my ways too. You know, I've made myself known, but I hope hope he's going to keep my ways too. No, God is actually speaking of his investment. God's basically, you know what, Abraham? I've infused you with the blessing and the ability to perform a task of teaching your children my ways. It's really... the rabbis even talk about how this is, even though God's speaking this way, it's almost couched in the language of a command. You know, Abraham, I've made myself known to you, so you better do what I'm asking you to do. (laughs) And we all know know that God does not ask us to do things that we are not able to do with his power. He's not going to say, okay, Ari, I'll walk the length and the breadth of this land and scout it out so I can give it to you, and I'm I'm crippled. No, God's going to heal my legs so I can go do it. So anyway, everybody catching that? This is helpful, in my opinion, to explain to our Christian brothers and sisters the importance of Torah obedience. You know, I've already got Jesus. Why do I need to obey the Torah? Because God doesn't bless wickedness. And for us to be the objects of God's blessing, he makes himself known to us so that we can walk in his ways. In other words, it's not only our covenant responsibility, it's God's covenant responsibility. God will not expect you to obey him if he has not made himself known to you and you cannot walk in his ways if you don't know God so it all fits together it's airtight. God, God says I'll bless you he makes himself known to us we walk in his ways so he can bless us alright this is a fantastic statement from the mouth of the one who sees every human possibility because he looks into our lives and he sees the potential that we have he knows our weaknesses he knows our proclivities but he sees our potential and he says you know what I've got great things planned in store for you if you'll just trust me And walk in my ways. i got great things planned for you. So if we fail, whose fault is it? Would that we might have Hashem pronounce this blessing over our families today. Amen. What must we do? (laughs) The divine tandem-like action spoken of here must not be taken too lightly. Firstly, God promises to be faithful to make Himself known to us. We, like faithful Abraham, are then enabled and subsequently covenant-bound. That's one reason why we should keep the Torah. We make a covenant with God, God makes himself known to us, but couched within that covenant is the promise that we will obey him. It's part of the package. It's the fine print. Actually, it's not even fine print. It's pretty bold. We, like faithful Abraham, are then enabled and subsequently covenant-bound to obey the teachings of our Heavenly Father. Finally, such teachings are uniquely designed, watch this, to bring about a righteous behavior in our lives aligning our lives to be the object of God's righteous promises. In other words, Paul puts it in this way. He says the Torah the Torah the Torah actually comes along and helps to, secure, to it helps to secure the promises. But don't 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 misunderstand my language. The Torah is a tool that's that it's it's the pruning object that comes along in our life to prune off the the, necess, the unnecessary sin so that God can bring about the blessing that he says. So, in other words, it's the soap that cleans us up, so that God can present us with with the prize that He's giving us, or however you want to view that. But it's it's certainly far from being something that is that was like say, as Christian theologians put it, something that was like a um a temporary thing or a side aspect or Plan B or superfluous, something like that. Like that, like you know, God blessed Abraham; he got it all. He got salvation. He got the gospel. And then, God's thinking, well, you know, the Jews are so sinful, I think I'll give them the Torah for a while until Jesus comes, and I'll take that out of the picture, or something like that. It doesn't, just, it, 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 it doesn't fit together. Finally, such teachings are uniquely designed to bring about a righteous behavior in our lives, aligning our lives to be the object of God's righteous promise. In other words, just keep reminding yourself, God does not bless wickedness. God doesn't bless wickedness. So what does God do? God gives me the remedy so that I can walk righteously. And in that righteous walk, God rewards that walk. In other words, God doesn't expect me to make it up on my own. Right? It'd be like you telling a blind... like be like be I'm Bill Gates, I've got a blind man. I say, okay, blind man, if you can walk this straight line that I've got drawn on the, on the ground here, it's only 100 feet long, if you can walk it straight and then get to the other end, then um, uh, I'll, I'll reward you with $100. And the blind man expecting to do it on his own without any other aid. If it, maybe he could walk straight. Who knows? But the, the point of my little example is, in God's case, God actually says, I'm going to reward you, and I'm going to give you the tools to reach the reward. I will, I, will, I will put my spirit within you so you can do the thing I'm asking you to do. Therefore, I get the glory, God says. Which is the way it should be, right? So then when we get to the end, and we say, gosh, I walked right, righteously. Not by our own strength we didn't. Not only did God give us the road, the derech, the, the way in which to go, he gave us the power to do it. Not only is the road God's, the power is God's. So, which part does Ariel get credit for? I didn't think so. No. To be sure, the syntax of the above Pasukim is hinting at that very reality. Note the running continuity suggested by the connecting phrases so that. Furthermore, we must, like faithful Abraham, trust in the Lord against all unbelievable odds to perform in our lives the promise that he has given us, through Yeshua our Messiah. And what is the promise? That's why this paper is called The Promise. Furthermore, we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called in accordance with His purpose. Because those whom He knew in advance, see it says knew, God knew Abraham. Those whom He knew in advance, He also determined in advance, would be conformed to the pattern of His Son, so that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He thus determined in advance, watch this, this verse is really saying the same thing that the, the, the Genesis passage is saying. Those whom he uh, those whom he tr- thus determined in advance, he also called, and those whom he called, he also caused to be considered righteous, and those whom he caused to be considered righteous, he also glorified. So God don't, not only knows us, but he he infuses with us. Now, now I'm saying, it, it says here, he call, he caused to be considered righteous. That's both sides of the coin of righteousness. That's both the forensic side as well as the behavioral side. Because obedience is more or less behavioral righteousness. This is forensic righteousness. Everybody knows what I'm talking about? Let's use church lingo. Justification, sanctification. But they're both sanctification. So, And that's what the, the Greek word there is for righteousness. Um, and those whom he calls to be considered righteous, he also glorified. Romans eight twenty-eight through 30. We usually stop at the first verse. That's I've heard... Tons of sermons. We know that God causes everything to work good for good for those who love God and are called in accordance with His purpose. But they don't read the rest of the verse. Um, But a further reading informs us of our true identity in Messiah. What is that? We are righteous heirs according to trusting faithfulness, causing us to be called, as faithful Avraham was called, righteous. God actually looks down through Messiah and says, You're righteous. And, And here's the part that I have a hard time wrapping my mind around. God can look into my future just like he looked into Abraham's future. He can look into my future knowing through his spirit how I'm going to walk in his ways as I avail myself of his spirit. It's a synergistic work, and there's a mystery to it. I won't uh, uh, try and shy away from that. But for God to actually say to Abraham, I know that he's going to teach his children after I mean go look at it again. For I have made myself known to him so that he will give orders to his children and to his household after him to keep the way of Adonai and to do what is right and just. Not, he might, and I checked it in the Hebrew, and it's, he will. In closing, we affirm with perfect faith that genuine and lasting covenant status is granted to the individual who eventually exercises genuine faith in the promised word of Hashem, namely the Messiah, Yeshua. There's a play on words there, obviously, right? Because Yeshua is both the word of the Lord, as well as the promise that is spoken about in the word of, God's, of the word. In other words, the Bible speaks of the promise... And yet Yeshua is the promise. I mean, it's kind of a play there. Such status is offered freely to both Jew and Gentile. Jewish people with natural lineage tracing back to Yaakov are in fact born with a corporate covenant status. Now this is a little more difficult to um, wrap your mind around if you've never heard this before. On the one hand, Jewish people with traceable lineage I'm using the word "traceable" in its just its natural sense. It doesn't mean maybe may necessarily that they know, but it's traceable. I, I would say it's better if they know um, because it suggests that there's no assimilation, and we know that took place. That's part of that can be a punishment from God to allow Israel to be assimilated into nations and forget from where she came, and if you forget. It's it's almost the same as it, that would be probably the equivalent of switching ethnic. That's like like reverse uh, reverse um, reverse uh, 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 proselytism. I mean you you are assimilated. Um, but let's just speak in the normative sense where Jewish people know they have natural lineage tracing back. They are in fact corporate. They have a corporate covenant status granted by God, given freely by God, automatically. I'm sorry. Let's try that again. Such status is offered freely to both Jew and Gentile. Jewish people with a natural lineage tracing back to Yaakov are, in fact, born with a corporate covenant status given freely by God and based on His promises made to Avram. In other words, do you remember when Yeshua was questioning the uh, some of the leaders of His day, and they were saying something like, "We're Abraham's seed." You know, therefore, what were they implying? Because they're Abraham's seed, we've never been slaves to anyone. You know, blah blah blah. What's that? That too, but also Yeshua seemed to, seeming to indicate that they were lacking something. And they were trying to answer by saying, no, 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 we're going to ride on the coattails of Abraham. So as long as Abraham's in, we're in. They were using proper hermeneutic, by the way. That's what Paul uses in Romans 11. If the lump is holy, then the whole loaf is holy. The lump is Abraham, and the loaf are his children. So yeah, yeah, their hermeneutic was accurate. The problem is, and we'll read it here now, there is no such thing as involuntary corporate righteousness. And I should add the word forensic there. Just because God saved Abraham and made a promise to Abraham's children doesn't mean all the children are saved. I think one Christian put it this way, God doesn't have any grandchildren. All right In other words, my parents were saved, so I'm saved too. I don't think so no it's 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 all individual. and so for the Jewish people, God makes a promise on the this level um, understanding on a kind of a temporal understanding where where the promises of the Torah and the inheritance of the land are theirs by virtue of being tied to abraham uh, naturally it's again it's it's if, if if you're a millionaire and i'm your son i'm getting your money somehow <laughs> i mean as soon as papa dies it's mine i don't care what your will says i'm gonna hire every lawyer and i'm gonna get every chunk so the point is abraham's rich he's rich in spiritual rewards and he's rich in physical rewards and and basically god says because you're rich abraham the richest is going to be passed on to your offspring primarily we're talking about real estate the, the Land of Israel, but the, the torah itself is the is the deed the, the will and testament that that Abraham inherits so there is natural there, there is a corporate uh, a righteousness that 's granted to abraham 's offspring on a natural level that non native born peoples would not enjoy unless they back then they joined themselves to the people and became tribal members and then gave birth to other na- na- native born peoples. But my point here is that Paul's arguing in Galatians that the Jewish people of his day, and today still do, believe that just by virtue of being Jewish, I'm in. And the word in there suggests in the age to come. You know, we've got our dualism department, we've got the olam, um, the the olam, I was going to say olam haba. This one's the olam hazeh, and this is haba. Right? Olam Olam hazeh, olam haba. This age, the age to come, to use church parlance, here, and heaven, whatever. And this little separator, of course, is death or when Messiah comes back. And so the Jewish people of today and, well, back then more so, and today, feel that because God makes a promise to Abraham in the Olam Hazeh, and because Abraham believed in God and that gave him promises in the Olam Habah, well, because I'm Abraham's seed, <coughs> I also get both of these. But the truth is they only get one of them. They do get blessings here based on being Abraham's seed. But this one must be appropriated personally. This is the salvation package. You don't automatically get salvation is what I'm saying. Again, all Christians know that. I have to edit out all those costs. There is no such thing as involuntary corporate righteousness. And I'm going to edit this to say corporate um, forensic righteousness, just so you know. In the Torah of Hashem, for the native-born Jewish person... The proper sequence for the covenants is demonstrated when such an individual graduates or matriculates from mere corporate faith. I put the word mere there in brackets because there's nothing wrong with corporate faith. It's not this versus that. It's this and that. It's it's what we call, call the it's good and better principle. This is good, but this is better. Not only is this good and this better when compared against each other, but to have this alone is good, but to have both is better. Okay? So there's two ways to look at it. You could say, this is good and this is better. Or you could say, this is good and this is better. All right? And, and if you ask many Christians, do you want, do you want um, peace on earth or do you want peace in the world to come? Or do you want happiness now or do you want happiness later? And, they'll, and there's just kind of a Greek mindset that says, you know, this life is worth nothing. I'll take it all in the life to come. That's wrong. God intended to bless us here and here. I came that you might have life and life more abundantly. Hello? I want the full package deal, right? I want both. Yeah. So, um, so, so again, uh, uh, let's see. For the native-born Jewish person, the proper sequence for the covenants is demonstrated when such an individual graduates from mere corporate faith. This, the faith that he's given at, at, at birth. And I put the word faith there because in the Hebrew model, the word faith suggests faithfulness. Um, mere corporate faith, because he has a faith. You know, it's not necessarily the amount of faith, it's what you put your faith in. That, and, and Jewish people do have faith. It's just faith in the wrong thing. So that's why he left the word faith in there. I was going to put something else, but I thought, no, nah, I better leave that. Uh, let's see. Um, to be sure only when God... Uh, let's see, let go up graduates from mere corporate faith and belonging towards personal faith in God. To be sure, it is only when God does his monergistic work of opening the eyes of the blind and drawing the individual into his covenant of faith that the person attains genuine and lasting. That's what I meant by genuine and lasting. This is genuine covenant status. But this is genuine and lasting covenant status. Because at this level, if you lose faith in God, you can be cut off. But if you have lasting faith in God, God won't cut you off. Okay? That's why I meant by the term genuine and lasting covenant status. That was the big question in the first century. How do I gain genuine and lasting covenant status? Conversion to Judaism outside of faith in Yeshua was genuine covenant status, but not genuine and lasting covenant status. Oh yeah, you could become a Jew, but you'd just be like washed on the outside and still filthy on the inside. It's like you're trading places inside of this compartment from... From, from a pig to a lamb, or from a dog to a... Okay. What monergistic means, um, one work. Mon, one, ergos, one, work. It means God does the work to save us. It's, nothing, we're, it's, it's something completely out of our control to, to, um, to bring ourselves out of the state of death into the life. Once God saves us, however, its counterpart is synergistic. Synergistic is the justification. If I were to use those two columns again, um, justification, sanctification, S- this is monergistic, and this is synergistic. Monergistic, God does it. God justifies us. God saves us. But sanctification is a work between ourselves and the Spirit of God. It's sooner. Soon to, S-Y-N, synergy. Soon S- Sometimes it's synergistic. Synergy, more than one work. Sin ergos. Um, mon ergos, one work. Does that seem to make sense so far? Great. This is um, faith. This is faithfulness. Okay. We're almost done anyway. Uh, Anyway, um, uh, drawing the individual's covenant faith that the person obtains genuine and lasting covenant status, the kind of covenant status that is worthy of a place in the olam haba, the age to come. What place hath the Torah in the life of such an individual? The Torah comes along. Remember my little diagram here. Here's the Torah right there. The Torah comes alongside the promise. Here, and acts as a guarantor that the individual will also achieve behavioral righteousness, thus placing him or her on a direct collision course with the blessings of Hashem. That's a nice way to put it, right? Far from frustrating the grace of God, Torah complements the grace of God. They work together. That's what I'm trying to convey to my Christian brothers and sisters. They're like, we don't need Torah. I've got Yeshua. I'm thinking they don't compete, they don't frustrate one another, they complement one another. So, um,. Gosh, with that, I'm out of time. I don't know where the time goes. Let me just break this clock. I've had fun. I hope you've had a little bit of fun. I hope we learned a little bit. Um, Galatians should look a lot different to us now than it ever did before. Yes. Yes. Yes, that too. And so in a sense, I mean, that's the mystery to it, right? he gives us free will. He gives, yeah. Now you're going to get me started on that, yeah. Yeah, that's the mystery, that God knows us before we were born, yet... Gives us free will to choose, or he. All right. More accurately, he knows. Yeah, he knows the choice. He knows what what's behind door number one and door number two. Yeah, it, it kind of is that, absolutely. Well, um, you're officially dismissed. Let me c- close in prayer, and then if you do have further questions, I'll entertain some of them. But technically, you're on. I suppose, again, if I ever teach this class again, I'll find a way to maybe actually get all the way through the book of Galatians. I don't know how, but we'll somehow, maybe, they'll change the schedule on me. We'll see. It was not meant to be this long, but I don't know what else to do. So, let's close. Father, we bless your name and we thank you for all that you've uh, done for us, your faithfulness, your your objective word that you've presented to us and, and, and left with us, preserved for us. Um, the way in which we have uh, uh, been brought into a proper relationship with you so that we can uh, relate to you and relate to one another. Um, All of these things are your wonderful work, your wonderful promises. Your Spirit makes this alive to us. And if we will just press in, we can see it. We can can engage the blessing. We can can, uh, walk it out and and, and see what it's really like to to know you better. And so that is our desire is to... uh, um, to fellowship with you and to know you better. And to be sure that's your desire to know us. And yet it's our sin that separates us. So forgive us for where we fail you. Uh, draw us close to you. Continue to challenge us and to sharpen us and to um, give us courage to share your words and your ways with others around us because it's quite scary sharing these things with our friends and family. Um but we pray that you'll give us the boldness to do it. And that all the blessings would be yours. And you would receive the praise for all that we do. Bless you, Father, for this class. In Yeshua's name, Amen. That's it. Galatians is done. Oh, I'm just so sad. No more Galatians. Actually, there'll be a break of about a month. And then I'll be fired up again to do... Who's never read Fellow Heirs? Who... Well, let me put it the other way. Who read Fellow Heirs? Okay. Fellow Heirs is a great class. Because let me just pitch it for you real quick. Fellow heirs will will allow the student to go from basically Genesis through the entire Tanakh in a snapshot way and show, watch this, to show your Christian friends that actually the Gentiles have been there all along. All along. Some people say, no, 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 the Torah's not for Gentiles. The Torah's for Jews only. Really? And then you can turn to just about any major book in the Torah and show them how that, no... The Torah's been there. It's been Jew and Gentile right along. So people read, Israel. No, that's for Israel. clearly says Israel. Really? Peek a little closer. Now I just see Israel. Nope. Peek a little closer. Oh, who's that? It's kind of like, where's Waldo? Who's that? That's the Gentile. What's he doing? He's keeping Torah. Right along with his Jewish counterpart. (laughs) Watch this. This is not only an eye-opener for the church, this is an eye-opener for the Jew. Yeah. To show them. Oh. You mean Caleb wasn't a Jew? You mean Rahab wasn't a Jew? You mean Ruth wasn't a Jew? That concludes our show for today. It is my desire that this continuing series of teachings will assist the average non-Jewish believer or New Messianic Jewish believer in his desire to become a more mature child of God. And now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you? but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all His ways, to love Him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I am giving you today for your own good. To the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth, and everything in it. Yet the Lord set His affection on your forefathers and loved them. And He chose you, their descendants, above all the nations as it is today. Circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. Because the Torah is written on the hearts of all who truly name the name of Yeshua as Lord and Savior, it is meant to be followed to the best of our ability. We have no reason for fear of condemnation or the trappings of legalism.